Good evening. My name is Shalisha Bino, and this is The Exchange. It is a show that focuses on immersive topics, sensational stories, and illuminating interviews. Tonight, we will be speaking with a woman who has a passion for advocating and educating students. She speaks about mental health in the classroom and establishing a process for identifying students' needs. Please welcome Kirsten C. Eccleston to the podcast. And it's it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I am so honored to be here and just very excited to be able to talk to you about something that's very passionate to me. Awesome. And can you tell us why you are passionate about education and advocating for youth? Absolutely. I'll try not to give you uh, the most horrible long version story of it, but I think it really started with who I was as a student. Uh, I grew up as a female who was undiagnosed with ADHD for most of my educational career. And as a result, I ended up feeling very left out and at Mm. times stupid compared to my peers. And I think as a result of that, um, I hated school. I didn't enjoy going to school. I felt bad about myself. Um, and, And it was reflective, I think, in my grades. Uh, when I was a high school student and when it came time to go off to college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. And through a whole bunch of different series of happy circumstances, I ended up in education and I ended up in special education. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to really work with a lot of great kids who I felt like I could see myself in when I was younger in them. I could see how they felt about school. I could see how they felt they were struggling. And it it just connected to me one day in my early career as a teacher that I was meant to be a teacher because I knew how students felt. I knew what it felt like to not want to show up to school. I knew what it felt like to be uh, not sure or not confident about who you were as an individual or as a learner. And over the years as a teacher, that just kind of built. And as my career went on and my experience as a teacher expanded, I had an opportunity to come up uh, with a new type of special education program. And through what I had experienced with my students, I felt that a mental health program was really what was necessary. And this was about seven years ago. So this was even before all the big pandemic things that have come about since. But I think that was really what made me passionate about education was knowing how my students felt because I felt it myself and knowing that I could remember those feelings and make programming that would be impactful and would be make a difference for my students. And that was really what continued to kind of give me what I call that fire in my belly of just feeling like moving forward and trying to help students feel connected and not have to experience some of the things that I did when I was in school. Well, I think that's what makes your experience very unique. Just the fact that you weren't an outsider looking in, you've actually experienced these things personally. Mm -hmm. So you were, you're able to really help them based on your own personal experiences. And it does sound like quite a journey that you've actually gone through in order to kind of get to that point. So that's pretty amazing. Absolutely. I feel like um, if I had told high school me that I would have a a doctorate from Johns Hopkins University, I think I would have laughed and thought I I was was lying to myself. I mean, those were the types of things as a high school student I didn't think were possible Mm -hmm. for someone like me. And, and And it was because 
I was a different type of learner. Mm-hmm. I wasn't being taught the way that I needed to be taught. I wasn't being seen for for who I was as a learner and mm-hmm. and so many kids fall into that category. They're different types of learners and and I'm sure we'll get into that more, but I just felt like that was something that was missing and I wanted I wanted our youth to feel that they weren't forgotten, that they weren't overlooked, that somebody recognizes that there's other ways to learn that are right for them. Truly an inspirational testimonial. You know, you're, you're literally like a walking testimonial. That is amazing. And what do you think are some flaws that the modern day educator has? Well, I think especially right now, given the climate of education post-pandemic, I think you've got a lot of tired teachers, a lot of very stressed teachers, a lot of teachers who feel undervalued, underappreciated. Yes. But I think some of the root cause for a lot of that comes from them just not having the adequate support and maybe even training or education. Mm-hmm. Uh, my specific background is in mental health and education and after three years of research looking at that, one of the biggest takeaways that I came, I, I had coming away from my research was that teachers don't know what mental health is. They don't know what it looks like. And to be fair to them, why would they? Their education training in colleges, even at the graduate school level, unless you're a special education teacher and maybe you get a behavior management class, teachers aren't being taught what mental health looks like, how to recognize it. You know, what are some of the root causes of it? So I think that's one of the other big factors. And we're also not taking care of teacher mental health either. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of a big cluster, right, of a mix of of our students not getting what they need, our teachers not having the, the knowledge or that they need to be able to be understanding and that their own mental health is currently suffering. I, I feel like nationwide we've had a mass exit of teachers this school year. And I can only assume that it will probably be more even at the end of this school year. And I think it's just because teachers are really tired and they don't get that self-care piece that they need in order to be available for our students every day either. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I worked as an educator for quite a few years and I could really agree with that. Um, you know, just being overworked and not really feeling appreciated about your position and, you know, just dealing with students with different needs. And I always said it each time I went into the classroom that, um, it would be a really good idea of those classrooms were broken up into smaller groups so that the students would receive enough attention, you know, absolutely. If it's, if it's 17 students and just one teacher, you know, that burnout level is just going to be, you know, out the roof. So I agree. And, um, what are some mental health issues that can be found within the classroom? Oh, absolutely. And I will say if, if you are someone who is familiar with mental health, you can really see anything in the classroom. And I'm talking anywhere from elementary to to high school age you know for a long time i worked at the high school level and i thought i was predominantly seeing anxiety depression suicidal ideations body dysmorphia uh, schizophrenia bipolar at times and and you know i thought a lot of these things were just very much okay these are your high school students type of issues that start to pop up but definitely post-pandemic 
Mm -hmm. I am getting more and more elementary kiddos that, you know, third, fourth grades, you're talking eight years old of students who have um, been dealing with anxiety, depression, school avoidance, mm -hmm. suicidal ideation, which was is shocking to me at that age level. Um, but I work with some elementary friends who are in and out of hospitalizations for their mental health needs. Um, so there really isn't anything that's sparing of anyone. I see it across all demographics, mm -hmm. um, all socio socioeconomic status. It, it really doesn't, you know, target any one type of person. And and across all age ranges, um, I would say one of the biggest things that you can see in the classroom where it starts to become most relevant or most is starting to kind of call out to teachers, but is often being missed are your internalizing students with mm -hmm. mental health. Um, oftentimes, I think people forget mental health can manifest in many different ways. And typically, our friends who manifest it in, with externalizing behaviors, you know, yelling, screaming, throwing desks, those, I call them the squeaky wheel students, right? They eventually will get somebody who will notice them because they're kind of that squeaky wheel. But mm -hmm. our internalizing students are often our students who are the ones that go overlooked, overshadowed for a long period of time. They might be your students who are incredibly bright, smart students who could be in theory, A plus types of students, but they're getting C's, you know, so they're, they're making it by. So nobody has red flagged them because they're still coming to school. They're still passing their classes. You know, they're not failing yet, but what people fail to realize sometimes is that's a red flag. Yes, mm -hmm. the kid is technically passing and they're coming to school and that's great but if they're not operating at what we know is their peak performance then that should be a red flag that gets called out to educators to to schools to say something's going on with this kid because this is the kid where it starts with like the dropping grades then they miss a day of school here they miss a day of school there or their head is down when they come to school and and it just kind of starts to build and all of a sudden one day you wake up and you get a phone call at the school and, and the student is now hospitalized because they attempted suicide. And it was like, did nobody see these these signs? Like, I mean, I know they, they weren't your squeaky wheel signs. They weren't throwing desks at you. But this kid had been kind of just degrading a little bit over, t you know, over time. He was straight A's in sixth grade. Now then we were B's in seventh. Now we're C's. But it, it seems like these kids tend to get overlooked on a regular basis. And, and it's right there in front of you in the classroom. You just have to be open to kind of looking beyond what I think teachers often do. We think, mm -hmm. oh, there's a kid with their head down, they're tired or they're lazy. But maybe the kid's head is down because there's anxiety or depression. Maybe their head is down because they're homeless or maybe their head is down because mom works and they are almost like a pseudo parent to their four younger siblings. There's always so many other things that are going on. And I think that's some of the mental health issues that can be found in the classroom that we're often missing mm -hmm. is that there's a root cause to a lot of what our students are displaying, but mm -hmm. we're just not catching on to it. And that goes back to what I shared earlier about just not knowing, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And not knowing that these are signs, not knowing that these are issues or concerns that will only get worse over time if we don't deal with it now. 
That is so, so true. So all of those things you mentioned are just like red flags that teachers should try to pay attention to, um, to see whether or not there is something going on at home or something going on, um, internally. So very true. And how can educators support avoidant students? No, absolutely. I think one of the best things they can do is being relationship oriented and, and I think there's kind of this fine line with teachers where they go, oh, the my administrator says, have a relationship with this kid. Have you tried it? But honestly, <laughs> relationships really do make a difference. They're not always going to be perfect. There's always going to be a kid who just doesn't get along with you, doesn't like you no matter what. Or even if you have a great relationship with you, still tells you to go fly a kite when they're in crisis. <laughs> but right. But but for the most part, if you have a relationship with a kid, they really will go out of their way. And I think teachers need to remember that sometimes a relationship isn't as easy as you showed up to, to work one day and you told a kid you like their sneakers. And now this kid is your best friend forever. I have worked with kids where it took me a solid two and a half, three years to have a really great relationship with the kid. And this kid would try everything under the sun to make sure I didn't have a good relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And that was because they had had nothing but trauma in their life. Every adult they had ever dealt with that was family members, people in the community, other teachers had failed them over and over and over again. And eventually, mm -hmm. as human beings, if people keep failing you, you put up your walls because you don't want to trust people because every time you have trusted them, they failed you. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's going to be how it works with some of our kids, especially some of our more impacted kids. They're going to test you because you they don't want you to be just one more adult that has failed them. But if you can stick with it, if you can kind of... Tell yourself, okay, this is a test. I have to prove myself. There's been too many people who came before me that let this kid down. So now it's my turn to prove myself. And if you stick with it, that relationship that you build with a kid will be one of the most rewarding experiences as an educator that you can have. And, and it won't be easy to get there, but mm -hmm. sticking with it is so important. And having those relationships with kids Really, that is how I would get kids to do things that other people couldn't get them to do is because I would make relationships. And I used to tell my staff this, too, when I worked in the school setting with teachers. I will make relationships my number one priority every day over academics any day mm -hmm. of the week because I can't make academics happen unless I have that kid available for learning. That's true. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. Like, I can put on the best song and dance and give them the best lesson. <laughs> but if they're not available for it or they're not in a space for it, it doesn't matter. So having that relationship piece first to me is the most important. And then I think after relationships, having a setting. And when I say setting, I mean having a welcoming environment, having an environment where Students have some flexibility in their choices, you know, a standing desk, a beanbag chair, you know, they feel comfortable in your classroom. They feel like that's a space that they can be the authentic, authentic selves. They can be themselves. They can ask you questions. They're not afraid of failing or or being wrong. So I think after relationships, any type of setting piece that teachers can do to make kids feel warm and welcomed 
is two important factors to really getting buy-in from your students and having them feel comfortable in, in school. I agree. I agree. And also just being patient and committed to Mm -hmm. actually helping that student. Um, There are moments when I've actually seen teachers just, you know, shut down themselves and say, well, you know what? He's the lowest cause and just keep going. So you got to be committed and really want to see change in that student. And sometimes, as you mentioned, it takes it takes a lot of time, but it's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And that whole lost cause thing, I think often, you know, as teachers, we're we're human. We have our own issues, our own personal biases, you know, things that we've we've experienced in our lives. But what I think teachers forget is that kid who's that you're saying is a lost cause. That was a test that they gave you that if you wash your hands and go, OK, they're a lost cause. You failed the test as the teacher then That's because true. that kid was pushing you to see how you were going to show up for them. And when <laughs> you wash your hands and say lost cause, then you as the teacher have failed the test. That is so true. That is so true. And, and what type of teacher would want to leave a child behind? You know, that's not, a, you know, what a teacher's mission is. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what are some post-pandemic student needs? So right now, some of the biggest post-pandemic student needs that I have seen is, I think, needing to have a level of flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I think some of this is coming to a head right now with the way that our education system is structured. I I like to call it that we're still working on the old operating system, right? We're still working on the, we've lined up our desk in rows and we're training all these wonderful little factory workers to come out (laughs) uh, of school, right? And and we have done nothing to update our operating system in, in education. And I think this has been even more prevalent Uh, since the pandemic, because you had kids, uh, most kids, who at least had a year of learning at home. And with that brought a lot of different flexibilities, right? I can have a snack when I want a snack. I don't need to ask to go to the bathroom. I can just go to the bathroom. (laughs) You know, I'm using more technology and YouTube and all sorts of different (laughs) gadgets and gadgets for learning. And then all of a sudden we go back into the classroom setting and we want everybody to go back to the way it was before the pandemic, right? No more mm-hmm. YouTube, no more snacks, no more comfortable seating arrangements, just back in your rigid rows, raise your hand to get called on. And I think we we need to be more flexible with kids. And I think kids mm-hmm. are showing that their mental health is not great. A lot of our younger students lost their some of their social skills. Uh, you know, there was a lot of fear that was put in them, anxieties that were risen. You know, some of them lost family members. Mm-hmm. So I still think there's a lot of fear that's coming from students. And we just wanted to go back to things being how they used to be. And, and we we forgot that we need to kind of be have a kinder hand. Mm-hmm. We need to allow for some of these flexibilities. If students want to have beanbag chairs. If they want to go get a snack or a drink of water, or go to the bathroom, or they need brain breaks for movement, or you know, get the sillies out and watch some YouTube thing, or even take ten minutes in your class and you know just talk about current events with your older students or pop culture for the day, but mm-hmm. stuff that just is allowing some more transition back into the school setting, I think would be really important for our students. I think we tried to go too hard zero to 100 of going back to some level of normalcy. Mm -hmm. And we didn't account for the kids needing those transition steps. 
those those mindful moments that mental health capacity built into it. It, it we were too quick i think to get back that we've left out some of the necessary steps and now mm -hmm. as a result you're seeing more and more kids who are school avoidant more and more kids who are being hospitalized more and more kids who are fixated on suicidal ideations so i think that if anything we need some more compassion and some more flexibility in in the classroom setting right now i agree i agree um i really believe that our system itself is antiquated and that they need to up you know update and upgrade you know just certain aspects of teaching in itself and, um, 100%. you know, during the pandemic, again, just being home, you know, most of the time parents are working, so they can't give their children individualized attention, mm -hmm. even though they are, you know, at home and stuff like that. So you're right. Just being able to allow them the chance to get adjusted again and to, you know, ask them questions and really just, you know, listen to their viewpoint as opposed to being more authoritative and saying, read this book, you know, or rather look at this laptop and finish your work. You know, they need moments to be able to socialize and to, you know, really just uh, ask questions about the things that they learn. And that's something that's personally I've seen myself just like, you know, teachers that would sit in a corner and say, look at your laptop. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, that, that is <laughs> yes, god-awful, so, you know? <laughs> I am I am 100% with you. That kind of learning drives me absolutely nuts. It, it's just this kind of rote, you know, here's the worksheet, here's the textbook, figure it out, instead of it being more project-based, hands-on. And, and if anything, that's the kind of learning these kids need right now is more project-based, hands-on, interactive types of learning because a lot of them do need some more social skills support yes. right now after having that period of isolation. Exactly, exactly. And can you tell us more about your company? Sure. So absolutely. So my company is Ed uh, Eccleston Education Consulting. And so what I do is I do advocacy for different families with students with mental health needs. Uh, I also work with some ed tech companies on the side as well. And I help with developing their professional development for teachers and for uh, their research incentives, as well as just looking into how how evidence-based their mental health programming is. Um, but then on social media, I do a lot of posting on TikTok and Instagram at, at the period neurodiverse period teacher. Um, and that's where I give a lot of kind of inputs on what I'm thinking of what's going on in the world of education. Sometimes I do a series of different visuals. I'll show what mental health can look like in picture format, like mm -hmm. a picture of the brain and what anxiety would look like going on in the brain or PTSD would look like in the brain to kind of give people that visual wow. component to it. So ultimately with my company, I, I work directly with families on this piece of what mental health looks like, especially for our students who are struggling in the school system or the family feels like the school system is not supporting them. But I think ultimately my, my goal for my company is to really make this concept of mental health in the education setting something bigger, something that people realize is an issue that is not going anywhere anytime soon and is something that is really, mm -hmm. I think, hindering and impacting our youth and I, I think is really keeping our youth from being able to really come into their own and mm -hmm. find their voice and their success because they're so busy having to just deal with the mental health aspects mm -hmm. that they're facing right now 
that they're missing out on really what they they will have to offer the world in the future if we don't help them now. I agree. I agree. So guys, if you are listening into the exchange, please follow Dr. Kirsten. She is she's definitely very well-versed, professional, and quite, quite candid, if, if I may say, about, you know, her views. So please follow her. She knows exactly what she's doing. The dot neurodiverse dot teacher is my handle. Pretty much you can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook using that. And like I said, I use that, that format to kind of shape out my different ideas. I like I like to be very candid about how I feel about personal biases, so standardized testing, mental health in the education setting. And really, hopefully it's something that if, if people are feeling inspired, that they also feel mental health is lacking in our education setting of getting inspired and following along with me. And hopefully we can all be change makers together. Well, I certainly feel inspired by just your journey and of course your mission. And I know those who are listening online are also very inspired by you and what you're doing because it's going to help parents, it's going to help communities, and of course, students, our modern day students, to which we must put to the forefront and ensure that they are successful. Those are our future leaders and our thinkers, and they're going to eventually move forward another generation. So definitely great cause, and I'm truly appreciative for you coming in today. Well, thank you for this time and this opportunity to share my message with your listeners. I I truly appreciate it. Oh, yeah, of course. It's a pleasure. And I thank all of you at home for listening in. If you have a compelling topic or story that you wish to discuss, or if you wish to promote your business, please visit us online at www.experiencetheexchange.com. Also, feel free to follow us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcast. Thank you all so very much. Thank you so much, Miss Kristen, and have a great night. Excellent. Thank you so much.